Ignition sequence start. See, Elijah Wan has David Robinson just bamboozled. Kelly out of the corner for three hitters. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. The Houston Rockets select Yao Ming. McGrady at the buzzer. Yeah! Oh! Thompson steps right, shoots for the win of three, and got it! I know what we need to do. I know exactly what we need to do. Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I know what's at stake. It's going to be scary. Not for us. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. I am your host, Jackson Gatlin, at JT Gatlin on Twitter, producer with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship here in Houston. Now, today is a bit of a special episode because we're actually going to break it up into two parts. Part one is going to be featured right here at Locked on Rockets. Again, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. And part two will actually be featured over at the Red Nation Hoops podcast with my good friend Salman Ali, who writes for Clutch Points, Fan Sided, and who is a reporter with ESPN 97.5 here in Houston. How's it going today, man? I'm doing all right. You got me a little intimidated, to be honest. I'm not used to all this fancy-smancy audio equipment in this in this studio, but I, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, I'm going to get used to this environment, kind of get, get my bearings, but I'll be all right. I can already tell you're getting used to it. You're very comfortable. You're, you're, you're smiling when you talk. And I had Justin Levine on the other day, and I told him, you know, that's one of the big secrets of radio is if you smile when you talk, if you smile into the microphone, the happiness just bleeds into the mic, and then the listeners are happy, you're happy, everybody's happy. Well, I'm always happy to be around my, my friend Jackson. Like, how, how are you doing today, by the way? I, I, haven't, I haven't got a chance to talk to you. In the mix of trying to introduce me to this awesome radio station, you, you haven't, we, I haven't, we haven't talked. We haven't had that small talk conversation. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. You know what? I'm still a little full from Thanksgiving, surprisingly. It's been a few days, but okay. I had a nice fill on Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. I went to Dallas. Went to Dallas, hung out Why with Why would some you friends. ever go to Dallas? Well, I mean, you know, you have to sometimes. Like, it, it, I mean, you got to drive through Dallas it's, sometimes. Well, here's the thing. I did take a shower twice when I got back. So, so good th- man. You, you, have, you have that going for me. But, 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 I had a good Thanksgiving, hung out with some friends, came back. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk some basketball. I'm ready to talk some Rockets and... Um, I'm energized. You get some second win when you come back from a trip like that. Especially when you come back from Dallas and come back to the greatest city ever in Houston. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So today, one of the things we want to do, at least in this first half of this two-part podcast, is we really want to talk Russell Westbrook and his fit so far with the Houston Rockets. Now, initially, what was your initial reaction to this Russell Westbrook trade? Well... I, I was a little confused by it because not only was it a, a strange trade in that they gave up Chris Paul, um, it was also like a lot of draft picks. It, it was two draft picks and two pick swaps, and those were deep, deep in the future. So that, so that means those are potentially really valuable draft picks. You don't know how good the Rockets are going to be four years from now. Flashbacks to the trade that the Brooklyn Nets made, acquiring KG and Paul Pierce and mortgaging their entire future, really. so 100%. 100%. And, and it's, it's like... You're trading someone who ostensibly was better last season than 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 Russell Westbrook, right? Like, like there is a case to be made that Chris Paul was the better player in this trade. Now we are 19 games of this season. It's too early to make any sort of judgment yet. We are going to make some preliminary judgments, but there is the there is the idea that you gave up additional you know draft compensation for a player that is equal or very close. You know, I mean, better or very close to Russell Westbrook. I'd agree. And look, there's 
there's some sides of the trade where you look at and you're like, obviously, there's some upside. And then there's obviously some sides of the trade where you look at it and you're like, okay, there's some significant significant downside there. And right now, one of the main areas that we're seeing is the decision-making from Russell Westbrook. Chris Paul is one of, if not arguably, the highest IQ player in the game today. Mm-hmm. His, his IQ is unparalleled. And some of his decision-making at the end of games, during crunch time, Chris Paul makes all the right decisions. I think it was just last night that he was playing against, what was the Pelicans? And he made every single right read down the line to secure the win for the Thunder. Yeah, like, and you just don't get that with, with Russell Westbrook. Well, you get some—I don't, don't want to disparage Russell Westbrook on this podcast, but you get less of it, and you get a lot more— like frantic stuff. And he's, he's a bit more helter skelter, a little bit more chaotic. Yes, and some would argue the Rockets need that, right? Like the Rockets are much, much faster this year. They're much more. They're much better at rebounding. They're 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 mu- they're doing a lot of other stuff, a lot of hustle stuff that they didn't do last year. And you know, some would argue the Rockets needed some kind of juice, some kind of energy. Like just, they needed to change stuff up. And I can I can understand that. I'm I'm sympathetic to that, but. Uh, there is there when you watch Chris Paul, there is an organized kind of there there there's just a the the way I describe it is Russell Westbrook is, is someone who comes in uh, kind of unprepared and will get you an A minus. Chris Paul will take his time, you know he he'll he'll kind of organize the offense, he'll figure things out, and he'll get you that A, you know he he won't get you the minus, you know he he'll, he'll he'll get you where you want to be as an offense, and occasionally. He won't show up for a test at all. Right. Yeah. The, 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 there is that. Yeah. At, at age thirty-four years old, he he is uh, he does have some of those donut games, which you saw a lot of last year, which is the case for this trade, right? You saw less consistency from Chris Paul, and um and and I think that's the idea behind the trade. Like you you get more consistent with consistency with Russell Westbrook, you get more years, right? Much younger player. Uh, you get. You obviously lose the shooting, but you get more of a driving to the rim dynamic, more of a, like, there's always going to be pressure on the rim when Russell Westbrook and James Harden are on the floor. You didn't get that with Chris Paul. Chris Paul, uh, oftentimes when he drove, it was uh, it was to get a mid-range shot or it was to find a teammate. You, you, you didn't get the drives to the rim that you do with Russell Westbrook. Or it would end in an offensive foul where he's just trying to shove off a big that he could no longer shake. Right, yeah. So that that's the case for this trade. You get it. You get youth. You get chaos. You get stuff that the Rockets didn't have last year. The case against this trade is obviously the shooting, obviously the decision making, all that other stuff that maybe could come back to bite the Rockets in the postseason. We have no idea. It's so early, but we we do have enough to where we can start making judgments. You know, one word that you haven't used yet to describe this whole Russell Westbrook pairing, his, you know, joining of the Houston or joining with the Houston Rockets is and it's one of Daryl Morey's favorite words, I think, is the word variance. He increases the variance of the Houston Rockets because with Chris Paul, you had a certain floor and you had a certain ceiling. And I've, I think I've made the argument before on this podcast since taking it over that Russell Westbrook not only lowers your floor, but he also raises your ceiling. Now, Ben had a bit of an opposite t- take. Ben posited that he raises your floor because he is more available, because he'll, he won't be injured as much, because he's, you know, similarly to James Harden, he's an Iron Man. He's there for the majority of games. Now, yes, he sat out a couple games now for the, uh, for the knee scope that he's recovering from, no back-to-backs, that kind of thing. But he could, pl- if those were playoff games, he'd be playing in them. No question about it. So you're not going to suddenly miss out on Russell Westbrook for a chunk of five to ten games in the middle of the season, knock on wood. But overall, I think that Russell Westbrook has 
the worst version of Russell Westbrook is significantly lower than the worst version of Chris Paul, in my opinion, at this point. Because, like you said, Chris Paul has the shooting. He can spot up in the corner. He can still space the floor out for you. Russell Westbrook, on a bad night, is clogging up your system. He's he's not providing spacing. He's turning the ball over. He's doing all these negative things. He's trying to take over the game when his shot is clearly not falling. That's the worst version. The best version, which we've seen a few times and we've seen flashes of, is the Russell Westbrook who is hitting his mid-range jumpers, who's playing within the flow of the offense. I think that in the game against the Hawks, he very much so played within the flow of the offense, and he saw that James Harden had it going on, and he just sat back and watched. He didn't force up any shots. He only took one three. He hit it. He took a handful of mid-range shots. He was 6 of 11 from the floor. Great game from Westbrook. Quiet game, but a great game. Yeah, yeah, and, and to, to me, the spacing concerns are, are really what you what you outlined. Like, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit, but like the double, we're already starting to see uh, the double teams come at hard, and we're already starting to see guys sag off of Westbrook. That that's really where it'll be interesting to see how Westbrook counters that, right? Like that that's that to me is the dyna- the dynamic of the Rockets that I I'm interested to see more of, like. Are, is Russell Westbrook going to take more of those th- those catch and shoot three pointers, or is he going to drive? Is he going to find shooters, or is he going to drive and and you know go into that crowded lane, which defenses want him to take? They want him to to attack the basket with that with the rim protector set there and a defender sagging off, ready to double. But they what they're not prepared for is, is a catch and shoot jumper or the kick out to three point shooters, and that's what I want to see more of from Westbrook going forward. I think we saw some of that last night, uh, not last night, two day two nights ago. And I want to see some of that moving forward because I think if you want the offense to work, you if you want the Rockets, if you want the offense to hum with with Harden and Westbrook on the floor together, you want Westbrook to make some of those secondary decisions a lot better. And you know, we're, again, we're 19 games in, but we're starting to see a little bit better of a decision making prowess from Russell Westbrook than absolutely did, that we did in the first five or six games. And we'll talk more about that coming up here in just a moment at Locked On Rockets. And we are back here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. I am joined by Solomon Ali, and we are breaking down Russell Westbrook as a Houston Rocket. And before we exited that last segment, we were talking about Russell Westbrook and his decision-making process. And we were both kind of on the same page. It has slowly improved. Basically, you know, when he first got here... It seemed like he was going to be content to take every single wide-open three he was given, and that would have been a nightmare scenario for Houston if he continued down that path of taking all these wide-open threes because fact of the matter is Westbrook is not a good three-point shooter. I think he's at, what, 22 23% for the season, somewhere around there. It's not a great percentage, and I don't care who says it. I don't care how hard you argue any wide-open shot is a good shot. I'm sorry, it's not. If you're shooting 22 23% from behind the arc, it's not a good shot, regardless of how wide open you are. If you're that wide open, you drive the ball in, and you either look to create in the paint or create for create an opportunity for a teammate because you've got other guys like first guys that come to mind are you know Ben Simmons, Rajon Rondo, guys who are not shooters, Giannis Antetokounmpo, guys who are not shooters who will not settle for those wide open looks who will instead create a look for somebody else who is a good shooter or get themselves something closer to the paint where their percentage is quite a bit higher. I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second because uh, I was one of those guys who was arguing that he should take some of these catch-and-shoot okay. three-pointers. So I think Russell Westbrook is not going to shoot 23% for, from three-point lines. Like, he's just not. He's not, like For the rest of the season, he's for, for his career, he's a 30% three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. So that is historically better than what he shoots on these mid-range jumpers. Now, he's been shooting 
uh, better so far this season on his mid-range jumpers and his three-pointers. That's barely. That's like .05 points per 100 possessions. And I feel like that's going to level out and he's going to slowly shoot better on his open catch and two three-pointers versus mid-range jumpers. This is what I'll say. If he's going to shoot, I'd rather he shoot open catch and shoot three-pointers. If he's going if he's going to take any shot that's not a layup, that's the shot I would prefer him to take. Just because historically that's that's where he's been more efficient. Uh, for his career now, if if he's truly this broken of a shooter, if he's truly like twenty three percent from three <laughs> from three point range, yeah, yeah, I, I I get it. I sympathize with you, with your argument. He should definitely pull up and shoot more of those mid range jumpers. He should definitely make some of those uh, secondary passes off of those James Harden double teams. He should definitely do more of that stuff. But if he's truly what he is right now, um, or or if he's truly sorry, if he's truly closer to what he is for his career. I would rather he take some more of those catch and shoot three pointers. Now, right now, uh, over the past few games, past four or five games, he's lowered down the three point attempts, so he's doing more of what you want him to do, and it's it's worked for him. It's worked for him and the Rockets. They're 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 prospering. The offense on the floor with James Harden and Russell Westbrook on at the same time is a one twelve point one. That's really good. That's really good. Before, like I'm talking five or six games ago, it was like one oh eight. So that's that's gone up four points per one of possessions. That's really good. That's like a top five offense when they're on the floor together defensively they're a 102.0 that's that's excellent that's much better than you would expect for these for their reputations frankly like they're not both these guys aren't known for defending and and together they've been pretty good defensively on the floor together uh plus 10.1 possessions per 100 possessions when they're on the floor together is that just their two-man split or is that that, a five-man lineup split that's their two-man splits okay so they're they're playing really well together and uh, it's possible they're playing better together because the, Ross is doing more of that stuff that you're talking about. Uh, I, I just want to see more of it. Like, I, I want to see a greater sample size of these catch-and-shoots before we can really figure out what, what what works better off of these passes from Harden. Is it a catch-and-shoot? Is it a drive-and-kick? Is it a, a mid-range jumper? I I tend to think the worst option out of those through is the mid-range is the mid-range jumper, but we will see. We are still 19 games in. I hate to keep stressing that over and over and over again, but it is it is a uh, small sample size, but it is enough to, for us to start making some of these early observations with with these two. And I think it's a it's a pretty good time to start looking at this trade in hindsight, and especially when you look over at what Chris Paul is doing in Oklahoma City. Um, he started the season off really well. Uh, I predicted before the season that I thought he was going to have a bounce-back season this year. He's shooting the ball better at the rim, shooting better from three-point range, um, and he's he looks like the Chris Paul of two years ago. Now, the argument is the argument for the trade is obviously always going to be availability. How long can he keep this up before getting injured, right? And, I, again, that is yet to be seen. Uh, we, but so far, th- these two players have played really close. And the argument, like... Whatever you want to say about this trade, Daryl Morey made the bet when he made this trade that Chris, that Russell Westbrook was not only going to be the better player this season, but the better player moving forward. So, for, so for for the first part of that sentence, it's it's still a little murky. It's still a little murky as to whether or not Russell Westbrook is the better player this season. I'd agree with that, and, and I but. And my turn to play devil's advocate. Advocate. Wow, tongue tied. Anyways, um, I'd like to just go ahead and throw it out there and. You know, I think that I don't know how where your biases per se lie. I, I gave up on my journalistic integrity a little while ago. You know, I'm I'm a fan of the team first and foremost. Now, do I still have my journalistic background? Yes. Do I still know how to do my best to report in an unbiased fashion? Absolutely. But I am a Rockets fan, and I am a Rockets fan at heart, and that's how this podcast has been run. Ben is a Rockets fan. 
And so right. I don't know where your allegiances lie, so to speak, if you just report on the team or if you're also a fan of the team. But personally, from a personal standpoint, I really don't miss having a minor panic attack every time Chris Paul hit the hardwood. Because I was watching a couple OKC games earlier this season, and every single time Chris Paul fell down, I would catch myself thinking, this is it. This is the one. There goes the knee. There goes the hamstring. Oh, his wrist. Just you know, ev- just every single time Chris Paul would fall down, I just have this moment of panic where this is the one where he's injured again. And I don't have that with Westbrook. Westbrook goes crashing to the floor, it feels like, every other play, and he just gets back up like nothing happened. Now... I know that's a minor thing. It's not, you know, anything statistical. It's not anything to do with the the sheer numbers that the two guys are putting up. But it is that was a main concern was Russell Westbrook will be more readily available than Chris Paul. And I I don't wish injuries upon anybody, but if Chris Paul were to even experience a minor injury later this season and miss something like five to ten games, then suddenly you look at it and you say, There, we told you so. You know, there. Chris Paul's out. Russell Westbrook didn't miss that time. And, you know, maybe the trade isn't necessarily a win just on that metric alone, but that was one of the main points of the trade was you at least have Russell Westbrook on the floor. Well, yeah, allegiances aside, we can talk about that later, but uh, as far as what you said, there, there, is, there is a lot to the phrase, the best, availability, the best ability is availability. Like, the Rockets' projected wins went up according to 538 when they acquired Russell Westbrook, mm-hmm. and, and that, that's, that's no small part to his availability. He plays more than Chris Paul. Like, like, you're just gonna get more value for a player that plays 20, 20 games more per game per season. Like that's just that's just math, right? Like you're like that's that makes total sense. Um, the the really what you where the bones are gonna be made for this trade are gonna be the postseason, and if these if the differences between the, these two players come back to bite Houston, or if if they come back and frankly help Houston, like again, some of that stuff that Chris Paul can't do anymore, Russell Westbrook can, and. You know, maybe you'll see some of that uh, coalesce in the postseason. I don't know, but so far this season, I think it is fair to evaluate it on what they what these two have done so far. And I'm still kind of, you know, I don't know. I I I, I want to leave it more up in the air because again, until we get to that postseason, we won't know until you know we we won't know until these double teams actually come at Harden and until teams actually do this in a postseason format. Because so far teams have been have have not been shy at throwing this double at Harden. They don't care. Like they they don't care that that Westbrook's wide open. They don't care that they're leaving a, a potentially lethal weapon to attack the rim. Now in the postseason, we'll see if that if that same kind of I don't care. We're gonna leave him wide open. If that's still gonna be there in the postseason, um, if the, if it is, it'll be a it'll be a real test for Westbrook. It'll be a real test as as to whether or not he can be that same secondary decision maker that he was in the early 2010s he was actually pretty good as a secondary playmaker off of Durant like you saw some of that coalesce uh in some of the pet plays that OKC ran you know you saw some of the 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 cutting that that Houston hasn't seen so far in the regular season but they saw some of that in the in the in the preseason you will see if if they can get more out of that kind of Westbrook in the postseason Definitely, and we will continue talking Russell Westbrook, Houston Rockets, all things here at Locked on Rockets in just a moment. And we are back here for our final segment at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. And Solomon, I have a counterpoint to what we were talking about at the very end of that last segment. Let's hear it. So my counterpoint is this. You were suggesting that Russell Westbrook, you know, seeing how he fits in as this secondary playmaker, secondary option, secondary uh, creator 
off of these James Harden double teams. We've seen them, you know, intermittently throughout the season to this point, and chances are we will see them more and more as the season progresses because it is a copycat league. If something works for one team, everybody else is going to try to implement it in some form, and some teams are going to be great at it. Other teams are going to struggle with it. We saw it with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Utah Jazz with the shading kind of gimmicky defense. We've seen it now with the double teams. Everybody tries to find a way to slow down James Harden. However, Russell Westbrook was a number one option in OKC after KD's departure. Sure. And at times, even with Paul George, you could make the argument that there were games where Westbrook just was playing better than Paul George. It didn't happen often throughout those two years, but there were games where Westbrook was clearly the better player between he and Paul George. And I think that Westbrook gives you that or gives you a window of that more so than Chris Paul does in in the sense that Chris Paul, he just as you get older, and Ben has made this point before on this very same pod, as you get older, it's not that you are no longer a superstar player. It's just that the ability to have a breakout superstar night, the the games come few and far between the older you get. Chris Paul is still very much capable of putting up a 30 and 10, 30 and 12 night here or there. It just won't happen consistently. Same thing for Russell Westbrook. It's not going to happen consistently where he puts up a 30-point triple-double anymore. Part of that is usage because the ball is in James Harden's hands quite a bit more. He is second fiddle to James now rather than being the primary ball handler that he was in OKC, but I think that as long as Westbrook finds a true comfort level within this Houston offense, we can see a game here or there, and potentially even in a playoff series, where maybe they some a team does have James's number. Maybe they are successful in shutting him down with a double team, but then what are you going to do when you have another past MVP on the other side of the court just waiting to receive a pass from James and getting ready to attack a, a, an offense four, four on three because you're committing a double team to what has arguably been, in my opinion, the best player in the NBA so far this season. No, and, and you're 100% right. Like, there have been games this season where Westbrook has been the better player. Like, you talk about the start of the season. Like, the Rockets won a lot of games that they shouldn't have won, and in part, in no small part, due to Westbrook. Like, the, the fourth quarter stuff that Westbrook was doing at the beginning of the season was just insane. Like, he was just willing the Rockets to victories that they, frankly, had no part, had no business trying to get. Like, they were dead in the water in a lot of those fourth quarters. You lost the Bucks game, but Westbrook had his fingerprints all over that fourth quarter, and he willed you back into that game after you were winning by such a large margin at halftime, 65-50 to 50 at the half, and then you trail going, I want to say they trailed going into the fourth quarter, or they had a slim lead going into the fourth quarter, and then at one point you were trailing the Bucks, and Westbrook mounted that fourth quarter comeback pretty much single-handedly because James Harden did, just did not have it that game. He had a pretty horrid start to the season with his shooting splits before he finally you know kicked it back into gear and got back to the James Harden that we all know and love but Westbrook has that ability to take over a game that you didn't see much from Chris Paul unfortunately anymore and again it's still there Chris Paul is still a phenomenal player but Westbrook gives you that guy who really can take over a game and he does it in a dynamic different fashion than James Harden which makes it harder to game plan against yeah, here are some of the games that Westbrook was putting up at the beginning of the season. So this is the second game of the season against the Pelicans. 28 points, 13 assists, 10 rebounds, 1 steal, 1 block. So you don't get that with Chris Paul anymore. You just don't. Uh, this is the second game. Uh, this is the third game of the season. Uh, he had he had 21 points, 12 rebounds, 9 assists, 1 steal. Uh, third, Fourth game of the season, 17 points, 12 assists, 10 rebounds. 
two steals. So you're right. You you get more of that with Russell Westbrook than Chris Paul. I can't deny that. He he has his ceiling, as you said at the beginning of the podcast, his ceiling games are better than Chris Paul's ceiling games. I think I think that's fair. Um I would say that the sacrifice between Chris Paul, like the steadiness, like you, you don't get the floor games you do with 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 Chris Paul. Very true. Like, I would agree there. Yeah, and, and and you saw some of that. You saw some of Chris Paul's floor games last season. To be fair, like he, you would see games where he would score four points at halftime, and and the Rockets were struggling to get victories, and and it's just like you just need more from Chris Paul at that point. You, like Harden can't do everything, and, and and that does support your argument that Chris that Russell Westbrook can do some of that stuff that like Chris Paul couldn't do last year. He 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 can take over when when the Rockets are struggling to get over the finish line, when they just don't have enough juice, when they when they need a key offensive rebound uh to get them back into a game to kick out to a three point shoot. Like like Russell Westbrook will get you that kind of stuff. The extra possessions are have been so huge. The just the hustle plays where suddenly Westbrook just soars in and snags an offensive rebound that he has no business getting. Yeah. And then, you know, suddenly you get an extra 14 seconds to try and get another shot off. And when you have the second rated offense in the league, that's huge. Getting any second chance points when you have or getting any second chance opportunities when your offense is as lethal as it is, is a, such a boon for this Rockets team. And not even that. Just the pace at which you play with Russell Westbrook, and that that is an impacting the entire team. James Harden has picked up his pace. He's looking to get out in transition quite a bit more. The entire team is running and gutting significantly more than they have in the past. And I think that Chris Paul would get you, you know, Chris Paul would run a play to a T, use up the, ent- the entire 24-second shot clock, and get you a beautiful shot at the end of the shot clock for Eric Gordon or Gerald Green or whoever else is on the court with him or maybe even himself. But he would take the entire shot clock at times to, you know, essentially run the offense like a traditional point guard would. Like, you know, he's the point god for a reason. He's running an offense. Westbrook, in that same time frame, could, you know, get you, get up and down the court within four seconds flat and attempt to score the ball at the rim. Now, has he been converting... You know, there have been some bunnies that he's missed here and there, and that's a but, but bit of an that, anomaly. That, that's his career, though. Like, for his yes. career, he's not the best finisher at the rim. That's and that's he is actually having a. I want to say he's having a career year at the rim this year, but it's just I test alone. It feels like he misses a lot of easy buckets right at the rim. Yeah. So whether that's just touch, whether it's the dislocated fingers causing him some issues, whatever. That, it that's may a be. thing. That's a thing. The the dislocated fingers. I'm glad you brought that up. That is it. I, I, like he he 100 mentioned it when it happened, uh, and he he definitely like you you'll see him during games. He'll kind of like like flail his finger a little mm-hmm. bit. Like like he he's that's definitely been ailing him a little bit this season. So I mean maybe that's something that you attribute to the lower than his career average three point shooting percentage and his mid range shooting percentage. You know again if if you've got taped up fingers on your shooting hand, it's going to cause you a little bit. It's going to mess with your touch just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know anybody who's picked up a basketball and ever shot a basketball in their life knows that the moment anything's wrong with either of your hands, whether it's your dominant hand or not, it messes with your shooting form. And so for Russell Westbrook to be out there with a pair of dislocated fingers that he's you know working through, having that wrapped up and dealing with that on a nightly basis and still being able to produce the way that he has to this point. We haven't technically seen a healthy Russell Westbrook. He's still, you know, he's still recovering from the knee scope, technically. He's got the dislocated fingers. And on top of all that, he is rough and tumble crashing on the court more than, I think, even more than Isaiah Hartenstein does. And that's saying something because it feels like every time I look up, Isaiah Hartenstein's on the floor. Isaiah, can I swear on this podcast? 
go for it. Isaiah Isaiah Hardenstein busts his ass. Like, he just does. For every offensive rebound. Ass he, isn't a swear word. Okay, well, whatever. I thought you were going to drop an F-bomb. Okay, but he 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 he, he goes after it. And, and you're 100% right. Like, like, Russell Westbrook does the same thing, but, like, on, on like, a level that only two players in the game probably can do. Like it, it is, it is ridiculous what he, what he does. Uh, like just the second burst he brings to teams when they're kind of dead in the water. Like as I mentioned, like there there have been games like that this season for the Rockets. Here is the case uh, against Russell Westbrook. Okay. So, so James Harden this season when when he's on the floor with the Rockets, he, uh, the Rockets are a te- plus ten point four per one of the possessions. When he's off the floor, negative seven point seven. Those ninety percent of those minutes are Russell Westbrook leading second units. He's just not good at the second at leading these second units. Now he's starting to turn it around a little bit in the past few games, but in general he has not been go- as good as Chris Paul has historically with the Rockets uh, with these second units. That is something that that is a little worrisome. Uh, that is something that um, that the Rockets need to get better at because they they blow a lot of leads when hard when Harden sits and Westbrook needs to be able to carry the second units. I I, I would argue that. Like that, Eric Gordon is definitely someone that is missed right now because he he would he's just the perfect kind of player to put next to Westbrook. Perfect compliment. Yeah, and and he hasn't had that this year, and, and that that's been that's one of the arguments that when the trade was made, like there's just more floor space than the Rockets could potentially have when they're healthy uh, around Russell Westbrook, and he hasn't had the benefit of all that floor spacing, specifically Eric Gordon. Like That's someone who can create a, t- a ton of room for you and make leading those second units a lot better. Like I remember Mike D'Antoni at the beginning of the season, he said his goal was to have two of those guys on the floor at all times, two of James Harden, uh, Russell Westbrook, and Eric Gordon. And he hasn't been able to do that because, you know, Eric Gordon had this knee scope. And then there was the, you know, the one game where he opted to try starting Eric Gordon, which, you know, you can't really start all three of those guys and then commit to having two out of the three on the court at all times. The the, the staggering of that rotation just didn't doesn't work out well. But thankfully, you know, I, 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 like many other Rockets fans, are happy that Daniel House secured his starting spot. He has had a phenomenal season up to this point. You're upset that he's missed as much time as he had for the, you know, just ridiculous amount of injuries that he sustained at this point the illness the shoulder the back it's it's kind of crazy at this point how banged up he has been but we'll continue talking about the Rockets about Westbrook about Harden about the entire team about everything going on with your Houston Rockets on the Red Nation Hoops podcast for part two of this segment or this we're not going to call it a segment we're going to call it what do we want to call this I don't know one hour special it's a talk it's a talk. talk. Okay. It's a talk. We'll, we'll continue this talk over at the Red Nation Hoops podcast. And so for this Monday afternoon episode, this is where we break things. As always, thank you for tuning in. Now, if you want more content before our next show, social media is where it's all happening. I'm on there at JT Gatlin. My friend Solomon is on there at Solomon Ali MBA. And then, of course, the show is on there at Locked on Rockets. Past that, there's Facebook, which can be found at facebook.com slash locked on rockets. The website, lockedonrockets.com. And, of course, our email address, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. All of these are different ways to consume content about your Houston Rockets. You can ask me questions about the team. You can make suggestions for the show, place advertising inquiries. Really, it's just a way for you guys to reach out to me and let me know if there's any way that we can improve this experience for you, our listeners. Beyond that, if you'd be kind enough to subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya, wherever it is that you listen to your podcast, if you could please take a moment to subscribe and give us a five-star review. 
That's how you get the benefit of episodes that go straight to your inbox before they publish to the previously mentioned social media outlets. And then we get the benefit of looking attractive to potential advertisers and keeping this business model rolling along as the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. Again, for this Monday afternoon episode, this is where we break. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope to have you back again very, very soon right here at Locked on Rockets and catch part two of this podcast over at Red Nation Hoops.